And what an amazing scripture that is to be fulfilled. Amen. It's so good to be back. Um, my name is Greg Anderson. Some of you I have not had an opportunity to meet. Some of you I've had multiple conversations with. But uh, grateful to be here today. This will be my final sermon to share with you, at least in the short term. Uh, maybe when you hire your next preaching minister 35 years from now, and I'm in my 90s, I'll come back and uh, share a minister, you know, uh, maybe a sermon with you. But we're going to pray that Casey has a, a very long and productive and fruitful ministry here, right? So uh, for those of you who maybe are visiting today, the church has just announced uh, Casey Langford and his family will be the next preaching minister here. And I think he starts officially full-time next week, right? So next Sunday morning, I know that's going to be a, a day of celebration for you all. And, you know, it wouldn't be right to not this morning just, just to say thank you. Thank you for your hospitality as you welcomed me in. My family I was able to come with me on occasion, my wife, and uh, to be able to just build on a phenomenal foundation that you know, Bo laid during his ministry here, and of course, so grateful he and his family are still part of the, the uh, body here and the, the work the shepherds have done, and so many who have gone on before, and those of you who have been working and praying and processing these past uh, many months, uh, thank you all. And I, I just can't wait to hear what uh, God's going to do uh, and see what God's going to do in this place uh, over the next many um, months and years. Um, it's been a little bit of a tough stretch for you guys, hasn't it? I mean, the, the hurricane and, you know, so many different things that have just kind of, uh, kind of challenged you as a congregation. But, you know, one of the things that I'm most excited about is just how God's been faithful through it all. And to see how he has ministered to you as individuals and you as families and now collectively as the body of Christ here. And so... Uh, he's, he's done great things, he's doing great things, and he's going to do great things. Amen? And so uh, let's rejoice and be glad in that. So the very first Sunday that I was here, I um, preached and challenged you as a congregation. We uh, spoke from uh, Galatians 5. I'm sure all of you remember the, the primary points from the sermon that day, right? Uh, several months ago. But we talked uh, a lot that day about the greater context of why we're here. And one of the main reasons that we are here as followers of Jesus Christ is to do what God intentionally and originally put us on the earth to do. And that is to partner with him to take care of what God has created and to be very open about how we engage in that partnership with God. And I challenged you that Sunday morning during this search process to be a church that would try to purposefully identify and plant the type of seeds that would yield the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. And I think you've done that as a body of believers and I think you're going to continue to do that. And I think the reason that I have confidence in that is because I've, I've seen the, the fruit of the Spirit yielded in you. And I think God ultimately answered your prayers as a congregation and has delivered to you a family that I think you're just absolutely going to fall in love with. And I think you're going to do some phenomenal ministry together. 
Um, so a question that I just want to pose this morning is, where do we go from here? Now, we have no PowerPoint slides today, nothing fancy. I just want to be in the Word with you for a few minutes. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, you can um, just go to the app store on your phone and you can look up Bible Gateway or uh, just type in the word Bible and you'll have all kinds of options. The blue letter version is a great tool. You're also welcome to look on with folks who uh, brought their Bible with them. If you don't own a Bible, please, please, please let somebody know before you leave here. And I can guarantee you, you will have a Bible in your hand before you drive out of here today. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, 4 this morning. When I thought about my, my final lesson to share with you, I really couldn't think of a better parallel than words of wisdom from uh, an older minister, that's me, <laughs> to a younger minister, or from uh, someone with a little bit of experience in church life to a congregation that's beginning a new chapter. And so 2 Timothy 4 just kind of seemed like an appropriate text for us today, the Sunday before Casey begins uh, his full-time work here. So let's just look at this passage together. I'm going to start in verse 1, 2 Timothy 4, and this is what Paul, who by this time is quite aged, as a matter of fact, he knows, he tells us this in the text, that and my race is pretty much run. So when you think about of all of the words that he could have left, of anything that he could have said, of any advice that he could have given to a young minister, he gives these words. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearance and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people, they will no longer listen to sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Do you think Paul was right? They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn to myths. But you, Timothy, you, you keep your head in, in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all of the duties of your ministry. 
Now, a little bit about this context, and we'll come back and visit some of the remaining verses in just a few moments, but a little bit about this context. First and Second Timothy and Titus, three letters that are in a row in our New Testaments, these are traditionally referred to as the pastoral letters, um, and they provide a framework for ministry, for church structure. Specifically, we read quite a bit about the desired characteristics of elders and uh, deacons and some specific roles and responsibilities of those who will preach the word of God. Paul draws some lines in the sand uh, when it you know, relates particularly to the truth, the faith, um, sound teaching. And, and although timeless in many ways, the original audience, they're experiencing some, some very real threats, some heresies that kind of creeping into the church, but it's a little bit difficult to understand the origin of some of these heresies. We just know that they were present. The theology of the pastorals, and this is probably a mistake that we've made, we have a tendency to want to lay these letters out and then make them into a checklist so that we can check off, yeah, an elder must be like this, that, or the other, or yeah, deacons must be like, or yeah, preachers must be like. And I, I think that's a mistake. I don't really think these, these letters were intended to serve as some sort of a punch list or a checklist of do's and don'ts. I actually think they reflect deeply profound theological truths about faithfulness and godliness. I think we could even say orderliness could be part of the heart of this message. And all of this is happening in a, a largely suspicious and non-Christian culture. Does that sound familiar? So I think it helps us understand that these words are very applicable to some of the challenges that we're facing today. Whether we are a preaching minister or whether we are one of the ministers who are part of this body. The letters show us two pathways. And isn't this just life? How many times have you been at a decision point in your life? And, and the path that you choose may take you one way or another path that you choose may take you another. Uh, are any of you still deciding what you want to do when you grow up? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, kind of figuring that out, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm 64. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up or whatever. But, but Paul lays out two very specific pathways here. The first that he presents is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 1. And that's, that's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's pathway one, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or in 2 Timothy 2, 26, he, he talks about the path that is the trap of the devil. So there's two different pathways that are pretty obvious in this passage. Paul writes these letters, and if you look at the end of the book of 1 Timothy, and I want to introduce a very practical resource for you here. How many of you have heard of the y'all version of the Bible? Anybody heard of that? Okay, this is the real deal, okay? I am not making this up. 
If you have your phone, go ahead and pull. It's okay. I'm going to give you permission to get your phones out right now. Do a Google search on the y'all version, Y-A-L-L. We say that as Texans, right? I mean, I grew up in Tennessee, and we used to say that all the time. Hey, how y'all doing, right? Or, hey, y'all. And we say that quite a bit in, in Texas. What this version does is it shows you whenever in the text a second person plural appears, it will say you all or y'all, all right, versus you, first person singular. Are you with me? You understand the difference, right? Some of you English majors are like, oh, this is so exciting. I didn't know that was out there. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But it's called the y'all version. Well, when 1 Timothy ends, Paul says, the grace of God be with you all. So this letter, these letters, these pastorals were to be read to the entire congregation. They are certainly for these young ministers, but the whole church is to benefit from the teaching. Now, we don't have time today to go through all three of these letters, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, and so we're just going to uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive into the passage that we read earlier from Second Timothy 4. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I think these words do apply to the entire church. Um, and second, as a, as a minister, I just want to offer a few thoughts that hopefully will set uh, Casey up for long-term success, not just within the ministry here, but, but also in the community and beyond. And, and third, we don't really process preaching too much these days in theological terms. Um, and so at least for a few moments and in some very broad brushstrokes, uh, I want to paint a picture of some of the challenges that we face in ministry today uh, in our culture and then process a very important understanding of we, us. This is not a, a message about a preacher. This is a message about the congregation and the relationship that we share. So of all the things that Paul could have mentioned when he wrote this particular section, this particular letter, all, of all the things that he could have mentioned, the very first thing he leads with is preach the word. Preach the word. And I know that Casey's going to do that here. The word has been very central to this church's life ever since its founding. It's going to continue to be central as you move forward as a body of believers. The word here is a summary. It actually is a, a very small word when we look at the text, but it has a great big meaning Paul here is talking about the word of, of God. He's talking about the word of truth. He's talking about the sure word. He's talking about the gospel. And then he uses this phrase, he kind of, the word is a launch pad into this phrase of be prepared. And this phrase, be prepared, it's written in the sense of stand by or be ready or be on hand for opportunities or crises as they develop, uh, if it's an opportune time or not. Do you have any fire personnel in the room? Anybody here ever worked in the fire service? Okay, public sector didn't get a lot of traction here in this church, but that's all right. So fire fighters have to be ready when? At a moment's notice, right? That bell rings, they are into their gear, they are on that truck, and they are on their way in a matter of minutes. Well, in some ways, 
as the hands and feet of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we're, we're sort of a first responder. Have you ever thought about the church in that way? That when crises hit, if it's a spiritual crisis or an emotional crisis, possibly even a physical or mental crisis, we as the body of Christ are prepared. We're standing by. We're ready when the opportunity presents itself. There are two bookends here that are essential to being prepared. And church, if we've ever needed these two bookends, boy, do we need them now. The first one is great patience. That's the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, great patience. And the second is careful instruction. We cannot fly by the seat of our pants and we cannot be impatient, right? We're going to have to be people who are in the word of God. And we're going to have to be patient as we try to share the truths of the word of God. It's extremely important that we as modern believers grasp what Paul writes here because the culture that we live in today so very closely resembles the culture that Timothy and Paul are trying to minister in at that time. Being prepared in many ways, I think it's just simply being open to God working in our lives. There's going to always be opportunities that come our way, maybe with a coworker or a family member or a neighbor, possibly with somebody we just meet for the very first time. And as disciples of Jesus, we may have never had the number of opportunities before that we have right now to be open to how God works in our lives. And I'll come back and say a little bit more about that in just a minute. Paul uses some interesting language here as he's talking to this young minister. And he says, I want you to correct and rebuke and encourage. And they're not the only activities that occur in preaching ministry, but they are quite central to what happens in preaching ministry. And these actions are not limited to the preacher, uh, nor are they limited to sermons, right? So we may on occasion need to correct. We might need to rebuke and say, hey, I really need you to stop for just a moment and kind of think about what you're doing. But, but there's always this tone of encouragement that underlies even times of correction or times of rebuking. And when these actions are taken, they involve great patience and careful instruction. Why is that? Because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And there's this interesting phrase here, sound doctrine. Any of you ever heard that before? Anybody heard this phrase, sound doctrine? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is, but before I tell you what it is, I'm going to tell you what it's not. Okay? Sound doctrine is not a process of reducing following God to a list of do's and don'ts. That's what sound doctrine is not. It's not reducing God, following God, to a set of rules or to a set of regulations. Sound doctrine basically means healthy or life-giving teaching. If you boil it down to its essence, that's what that phrase means. It's just healthy teaching, life-giving teaching. 
It's the type of teaching that has the power to move people beyond where they are to that place where God longs for them to be, to believe in his word and to live it out. And so I want to challenge you this morning as a community of faith to recognize that the arrival of the Lankfords provides a consistent opportunity for you to expose people to life-giving teaching, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. And I want you to recognize the importance of praying for Casey, praying for his family, loving on them, being open with them, and rejoicing with them. Even as Paul writes here, as, as God is glorified among you. He says to Timothy, uh, some very specific counsel here, but you, and this is, a, this is not a y'all, okay? This is a, speaking directly to the young minister. But you, Timothy, you keep your head in all situations and your hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I don't know about you, but I think keep your head in all situations, that's pretty good counsel to all of us, right? And uh, any of you ever lose your head in various situations? Um, you know, you're driving down the interstate here possibly. So yeah, I'm getting a couple of folks who are saying, yeah, I'll be transparent. I can, I can blow my stack occasionally, right? Um, hardships, I'm going to tell you something here you may not know. Hardships inevitably come. Did you get that memo, everybody? Hardships inevitably come. Satan is always looking for an opportunity to destroy the goodness of God, always. He has been a disruptor from day one. His, his modus operandi has not changed any since that initial time of disruption. We have these interesting words here, uh, work, uh, discharge the, the duties of your ministry. And it sounds really regimented, right? It's almost like Paul is saying, write this really formal job description here, Timothy, and be sure you live into that. But I think when we read these words in a greater context, what he's really describing here, it's just, it's just the fruit of who we are in, in Christ. And so I, I think it's a, 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 a beautiful description of what ministry can be. I, I don't think, again, Paul's trying to reduce this to checklist. In the context of preaching ministry, if you think about it, all of you bore fruit or you're bearing fruit of the Spirit even right now because you participated in this process, particularly in prayer. And I think God's going to do powerful things with that. So we see what Paul shares here with this younger minister. I just want to share a couple of reflections as we wrap up from my personal experience. I've been in ministry for about 30 years collectively now. I was in the business world for about 10 years. I was in ministry for about 20 years and took a little break about 10 years or so in business and then have engaged in ministry again in recent years. And I'm having a great time. But I've discovered some things along the way. One of the things that I discovered and one of the things that ultimately got me out of ministry for a while before, before wading back in and being in a healthier place and in my head and in my heart was that preaching, preaching in, in ministry in general can be quite lonely 
It can be. Now, that's probably true for all of us, right? Kind of no matter what your career calling is, it can be a sense of isolation sometimes or a sense of loneliness. But we have very, very high expectations of our ministry staff, and we should. We should have high expectations. But sometimes those expectations are so high that it's difficult to just be transparent and open about some things that we might be struggling with. And what's one of the things that Satan loves to do more than anything else? Get us to keep secrets, right? And when we start keeping secrets, even ministers, when we start keeping secrets, Satan can do a lot of damage with that in our heads, in our hearts, in our relationships. So I think it's important just to be aware of that. Um, the importance of extending friendship to the Lankfords without expectation of anything other than just, hey, we're in this together. So let's walk together, see what God does with that. Assumptions can hinder relationships. Now this is, um, I'll just call this a false narrative uh, that we, we sometimes live into. Um, I don't know how many times people have, have called or emailed in my years in ministry and they've used this phrase, I know you are so busy. I know you're so busy. Now, most of us are going to assume that ministers wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is spend two to three hours in deep study and then two to three hours in deep prayer and then two to three hours in deep counseling and then two to three hours, you know, um, walking on water, whatever it is, you know, all of these things that we think that our ministers are doing. And, and yes, ministry is busy. Yes, there's a lot of things to wade into. But, but church, ministers come to do ministry because most of the time they love people. <laughs> and they want to be with people. And they want to interact with people. So I want to challenge you as a congregation, don't make assumptions about your minister's schedule or his likes or his dislikes just ask. Hey, I'd like to go grab lunch sometime. You think we could do that? Now, I don't know Casey very well, but I know him well enough to think, know him well enough, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to say, that would be great. Let's go do that. Or maybe we could grab a coffee. Or, or think about this. What would it be like if you just dropped by the office one day and you just said, hey, I don't need anything. I just want to come by and I just want to pray over you for a few minutes. Or I just want to ask, is there anything I can do for you? You see, prayer is going to be critical. It's going to be absolutely critical in this partnership. But affirmation is really important too. So be an affirming church and be purposeful about it. I want to also encourage you to refuse, and I just mean don't do this at all, just refuse to wear masks here. And I'm not talking about COVID, okay? I'm talking about metaphorically speaking, all right? Uh, you can wear masks, physical masks, as long as you feel like you need to, and nobody's going to judge you on that. But don't wear emotional masks. Don't wear spiritual masks. And don't ask your preacher to wear one. There was a tweet 
February 10th of this year. And it caught my attention. It just happened to come up in my, in my Twitter feed, which I really don't even pay a lot of attention to these days. But this one got my attention. And I didn't even know this individual. He was a preacher. And he tweeted out, prayers for complicated emotions tomorrow and a fresh start and for God's providence and providing safe relationships where we can heal and try loving again. And dozens of people responded to this tweet. And there was a thread that began where story after story after story emerged about individuals who had started new ministries with incredible anticipation simply to be crushed by the weight of ministry and consumer Christianity and unrealistic expectations and many other factors. And so I just want to ask you, what if this church, what if the Cinco Ranch Church of Christ has a very different story to tell five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. When you visit with Casey, don't talk differently than you do when you visit with somebody else. We have a tendency when we get around preachers sometimes to, um, to go into pious language mode. Have you ever noticed that, that we do that? Well, brother, I was just in the Word the other day, and I, uh, you know, praying, and, and, uh, and, and maybe you were, and praise God for that. But, but when you get together, just, just be yourselves. Be yourselves, scars and all. Can I get an amen on that? Just, just be transparent, because church, whatever you're struggling with, there are lots of other people who are struggling with it too. And wherever you're experiencing victory, there are others who are experiencing victory or at least have. And, and, and the more open and honest that we can be with each other and the more transparent that we can be with each other, the more God can do great things here. But if we're worried about sounding pious versus being pious, you see how Satan can get in the middle of that and do great harm? Dr. Michael Zweigel, I'm probably butchering his last name, but it's spelled uh, S-V-I-G-E-L. Um, he actually was recommended to me by one of our young ministry students who had him as a major professor. And he tweets like a madman. I've never seen anybody that can tweet as much as this, this guy does, but he has these little snippets that come out every once in a while, and they're just really refreshing to read. But one of the things that he tweeted a few months back was one of the greatest needs for Christians is to move from I go to and I worship at to I'm a member of and I serve with. And I thought, yeah, I think you're onto something there. Years ago, I was on a 
short-term mission trip up in uh, Connecticut. We got off the bus, had a few initial exchanges and greetings, and uh, I met this gentleman who was kind of in the middle of multiple conversations, and he, he looked kind of ministerish, and so I went up and asked him. I said, hey, are you the minister here? Now, this, this was 35 years ago, and I will never forget his response. I asked, are you the minister here? And he replied, one of many. I am one of many. You, church, you are in a partnership with the Lankfords. They're not coming here to do ministry for you. They are coming here to do ministry with you. Church, are you with me? Are you with me? Some of the false narratives related to ministers. False narrative number one, they do not struggle with temptation. I can assure you that we do. False narrative number two, they know everything about the Bible. I can assure you, we do not. False narrative number three, they can quickly repair what's taken years to destroy. Not going to happen. Okay? If you've been married for a long, long time or been a parent for a long, long time and you expect your preacher is going to sort that out in two conversations, not going to happen. It's going to take some time. False narrative number four, their families love preacher jokes. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Some of them might. I don't really know for sure. I don't mind a good preacher joke every once in a while. But uh, they're calling. It's a sacred calling, right? The gift of ministry. That's a gift from Jesus Christ to his church. So while we may be joyful about it and have lots of fun with it, there's also underlying that a foundation of something that is very solid and very sacred. How do we overcome these false narratives it's quite simple, actually. Openness, telling our stories, listening to the stories of others, honesty. What if we just said, you know, we're truth tellers here. That defines us as a congregation. We're, we're truth tellers here. Understanding that we are in this together, I think that's one of the ways that we overcome these false narratives. Being willing to wade into suffering that is, in part, how Second Timothy actually closes before a few final greetings and some requests. Paul writes in verses 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. And so we talked up to this point about how you can partner effectively with Casey. Let me talk just for a few moments as we wrap up about what interacting with other people, helping in this co-ministry, what that looks like lived out behaviorally here. And I just want to offer a couple of pieces of advice and we'll close. I want to challenge you as a church to, to start asking a question. Practice it on one another first. 
okay? Practice it on believers first, but then you can start asking this of others. And here's the question I want you to start asking. So, what's your story? Let's practice that question together. You ready? One, two, three. So, what's your story? That's a very easy question to ask. Um, Here's something I've discovered when I ask that question, and I ask it a lot. I ask it in airports. I ask it when I'm flying. Uh, When I walk into a church and I start meeting people for the first time, one of the questions that I'll ask after I've had a few interactions is, so what's what's your story? And here's one of the really cool things about this day and time. Because we have become so open with our lives on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and other, and other outlets, you know, social media outlets. Uh, we become so open. If you ask that question, so what's your story, guess what? Guess what people will do? They will tell you. They will tell you their story. So depending on the situation, you might need to make sure you've got quite a bit of time lined out, right, to actually hear the story. But one of the things that you can do is you can ask people, so what's your story? It is a fantastic evangelism question, even when people walk in your doors here. Don't be so fast to try to shuttle somebody to Bible class. Don't be so fast to try to get somebody into the auditorium at a particular time benchmark. Ask somebody, so what's your story? And then sit down and listen. You've got a phenomenal foyer out there, one of the best I've ever seen in any church I've ever been a part of in my life, right? So use that space to sit down and just listen. And when people share, start to to listen for themes of pain, struggle, an opportunity. Not, Not to take advantage of it, but to be able to speak gospel into it, even as Paul does in this passage. Even as Casey will do from this pulpit. Even as Jesus does, day after day, in his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when those story moments of opportunity, when they present themselves, you can simply say, and here's here's the follow-up statement. You can simply say, you know, there's only one person who gets me through a time like that. And that opens the door for a conversation about Jesus. A hundred people may say, no thanks, not interested. But one person might say, you know, I'd like to know more about that. And that's your opportunity to give glory to God and to love well in his name. I am uh, I'm so excited about the future of this church. Uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully popping back down some uh, in the next couple of years. And of course, we're not too terribly far away. Bryan, Texas is just right up the road, a little, a little piece. So um, I'm excited to hear what God's going to do here through your shared ministry with the uh, Lankfords. And what I'd like for us to do this morning as a body of believers, I'd like to actually ask us if you're able to stand together And I want us to pray together. And after we finish this prayer, we're going to sing a song together. And if you have any requests on your heart that you want to share this morning with the shepherds or someone else, 
then as we sing this song, please feel free to do that. Perhaps we have someone here this morning who wants to be baptized. What a great time of celebration that would be as your story intersects with the story of Jesus and your sins are washed away. Let's pray together and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of the day. We are so grateful for the counsel of the Apostle Paul to his young protege, his son in the faith, this young preaching minister, Timothy. And as we reflect on his words to be an encourager, uh, an exhorter, uh, to, to be a man who opens the door for shared ministry, Father, might we own these truths in our heads this morning, in our hearts this morning, and anticipate an incredible partnership with Casey and with his family as they arrive here and begin living their lives here. And Father, as the future unfolds, Lord, would you bring many people to Jesus in this place through the ministry of the Cinco Ranch Church. And Father, may you receive all of the honor and all of the glory for every precious soul who says yes to the invitation of the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to serve in Jesus' name in this place. And it's in his name we pray and the whole church says, amen.